and everybody. Um, we're returning to the book of Jeremiah this morning as we work through Jeremiah over the course of the fall. And we're looking at Jeremiah 17. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Jeremiah 17. If you don't have a Bible and you need one, um, there are Bibles out in the foyer in the info center. You're welcome to grab one of those and take it home with you and keep it. And I encourage you to read it. Um, But we're looking at Jeremiah 17, verses 5 to 13. And Jeremiah has just continued throughout these first 16 chapters to uh, warn Judah, the people of Israel, that judgment is coming and that uh, they are going to be conquered if they don't listen, if they don't repent, if they don't pay attention to him and love him and love others and show compassion to others as, as he calls them to. Um, so this passage is, is written for those people as, as he's warning them, but, but we also need to remember that this, this book, Jeremiah, is also going to be read by the people after they have been conquered by Babylon as they're sitting in exile, as they've been exiled to Babylon. And those people are are reading this as well, and God's speaking to them. And to both groups of people, one of the things he's saying to them is, what kind of life do you want? What kind of life do you want? And, And actually, that's what he's saying to us as well. As we read through the book of Jeremiah, he's saying, what kind of life do you want? And what kind of work are you willing to do to get to, to get to that kind of life? So listen to God's word as I read from Jeremiah 17. I'm going to start in verse 5 and go through verse 13. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Like the partridge that gathers a brood that she did not hatch, so is he who gets riches, but not by justice. In the midst of his days, they will leave him. And at his end, he will be a fool. A glorious throne set on high from the beginning is the place of our sanctuary. O Lord, the hope of Israel, All who forsake you shall be put to shame. Those who turn away from you shall be written in the earth. For they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living water. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would help us as we look at these verses. And that you would speak to us. We pray that your spirit would enable us to listen to you. And we pray that you would do a work in us, that you would do a work in our hearts, that you would make us different people, that you would renew us and strengthen us and encourage us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I know it's Halloween today. 
probably a little early to start talking about Christmas, but I mean, they've started showing Christmas movies on the Hallmark Channel, so I said, you know, why not start off with a Christmas illusion? Um, every year, our family goes out and picks out a Christmas tree, and uh, for the past, I don't know how many years, as long as we've been living in New Jersey pretty much, like 20 years, except for last year, we go to a tree farm out in Pennsylvania where there's this, this giant tree farm. There's trees everywhere. And, uh, and, and so we parked the car. We head out into the field to look for the perfect tree. Okay? And to be honest with you, it's exhausting. If you can imagine trying to pick out a tree with six, seven, eight people, depending on who's home, you know, so there's six of us, seven of us out there trudging through all of these trees trying to find a good one, trying to find the perfect one. And all, all, it always happens, you know. Somebody's like, okay, how about this one, you know? And everybody looks at it, and they're like, you know, we're looking around it, and we're like, uh, yeah, it's, it's okay. But, you know, everybody has some different reasons for why it's not perfect. And so we're like, okay, well, let's remember where this one is, and we'll go look. We'll keep looking, and if we can't find anything, we'll come back. And so we go on, and we never remember where that original one was, right? So eventually, we all just get frustrated and tired, and we just pick one. But the, the thing is, even in the end, just, just picking one, we have this baseline kind of standard for what the tree needs to be, right? If, if you see a tree that has, like, brown needles just, like, falling off of it, we're not going to pick that one. If you see a tree that's just completely sparse, that has hardly any branches on it, you know, or tons of bald spots, like, we're not going to pick that one. We're going to at least look for a tree that looks somewhat healthy, right? A tree that is going to be green, even if it's slightly crooked. Um, we want a tree that looks healthy, that looks like it's going to be somewhat strong and at least last for a few weeks before it starts dying more and more in our living room. Um, you know, it, it, the choice is obvious when we're, when we're, we're faced with a, a tree where the, the needles are falling off and they're brown and a tree that is green right? The choice is obvious. Um, in this passage, Jeremiah presents us with two options for life. Okay, did you notice that as I was reading that? He presents us with two options for life. First, there is verse 6, where he talks about a shrub. He talks about this shrub in verse 6. Um, this shrub that's in a desert. So it's in a very dry place. It's a dry shrub. Um, it says it, it doesn't see any good come. It's not bearing any fruit, right? It's not really helpful or beneficial to anybody else. It's just this kind of lone, dry shrub. It's, it's isolated. It's alone. It's in this, this uh, wilderness, in an uninhabited salt land. It's completely alone, isolated, dry, fruitless, unproductive, and even down in, uh, in verse 11, he's not talking about a shrub anymore. He starts talking about a partridge, but he's still talking about that same kind of life where he says even this, this, this life might get rich for a time, might look good for a moment, but in the end, all of those riches will leave that person's life and, and they will end up looking like a fool. So it's, it's, a, it's a shrub, it's a life that is dry, it's, it's lonely, it's unproductive, it might look good for a moment, but then it, it looks foolish in the end. And then in verse 13, he says, those who turn away from you shall be written in the earth. In other words, they will, they will end up just dirt, in the dirt, you know, in the dust, nothing. Um, so that's the first option. Does that sound appealing to anybody? And then he gives us the option of uh, verse 8, where he talks about this tree. This tree that is planted by water, right? 
this tree that's planted by water that sends out its roots into the stream. It's, it's well-nourished. It's hydrated, right? It's healthy. It's green. It's green. No matter what happens, the leaves remain green. And it, and it, it, it produces things. It bears fruit. It does not cease to bear fruit, right? It's, it's always being productive, always being beneficial for those around them. And I think one of the most attractive things about this tree is, is that it's a tree that's not like um, isolated and separated from, from difficulty and, and hardship and bad weather. It, it says even in the heat, when the heat comes, its leaves remain green. In the year of drought, it does not cease to bear fruit. So it's saying it's, it's a tree that even it, it experiences difficulty, it experiences heat, it experiences bad weather, it experiences drought, and yet it thrives. It thrives. Even, in the, even when, the, when the difficulty uh, is kind of weighing down on it, or putting pressure on it, it thrives and it remains healthy. Which kind of, which kind of uh, you know, you want to be a tree or do you want to be a, a shrub here? It's the choice is obvious, right? The choice is obvious for us. Of course, we should all want to be the tree. The green tree, the living tree, the strong tree, the healthy tree. And, and one of this, this, the things that this passage points out, I think, is that when it compares these two kinds of lives, this dry sh- shrub and this living tree, this strong tree, um, the, the thing that sets them apart is the heart. The heart is what dictates what kind of tree you're going to be, what kind of shrub you're going to be. The heart dictates. And where do I say that? Well, in the very first verse, in verse 5, he says, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. Right? So this is a person whose heart has turned away from the Lord. Something is, there's a, there's a, a, a condition of this person's heart that results in the fact that this person is going to be a dry shrub, isolated, dying, right? The heart is what dictates what kind of life you're going to have. And, and he talks more about the heart in this passage, and that's primarily what I want to talk about this morning in verses 9, mostly verse 9, but then also verse 10, where he says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. If it's true that our heart is the thing that dictates what kind of life we're going to have, and the choice should be obvious what kind of life we want, we need need to know some important things about our hearts in order that we might pursue this kind of life. Okay, And that's what I want to talk about this morning. Just three things that this passage points out, and especially that these verses point out, about our hearts that we need to know if we want to have the kind of life that is offered here, okay? So first of all, we we need to remember that the heart is unseen. The heart is unseen. Many of us hear the word heart, and when you hear the word heart, I don't know what immediately comes to mind for you. You might think of the physical organ that, you know, is beating inside your chest. Others of us, in today's world, we, we kind of juxtapose the, the, the word heart with the word mind, and you kind of think, you know, the, the mind is, is kind of the, the, the mental uh, thinking aspect of you, and the heart is kind of the emotional feeling aspect of you. But when the Bible talks about the heart, when the Bible talks about the heart, the Bible is talking about the, the core of you, the center of your person, 
the thing that is underneath everything else that dictates everything else about you, okay? So yes, your heart dictates how you feel. That is true. How you how you're, um, emotionally respond to things that happen in your life, that is dictated by what's going on in your heart, which is way down deep. Your, your thoughts are dictated by what's going on in your heart, way down deep. What, what comes out of your, what, come, what bubbles up into your mind and you, as you, what you daydream about is determined by what's happening in your heart. The things that come out of your mouth, Jesus said, right? We read that passage earlier. The things that come out of your mouth come out of your heart. Your choices that you make in life, the things that you want, the things that you desire, those things come, they stem from your heart. The Bible talks about the heart, and he's ta- it's talking about the, the thing that is, that is at the core part of who you are, buried beneath everything else, that determines everything else, okay? And the thing about the heart, then, is that it's buried down deep, and you cannot see it. What you see is all the other stuff on the surface. And so this is the tempting thing. Most of us think that if we want a better life, what we need to do is focus on the exterior things. I need to work harder at saying nicer things to people. I need to work harder at controlling my words. I need to be more disciplined in how I make my choices. I need to kind of control my exterior behavior. I need to kind of be, be more you know, in control of, of my emotions and how I respond to things. But the reality is, what we need most is way down deep, something that we cannot see. We need change there, not out here. I mean, just focusing on the stuff out here, I kind of talked about it a little bit a few weeks ago. Uh, just focusing on the exterior things is like getting a tree that's totally brown and just getting some spray paint and just painting it green, you know? What we really need is, is change and, and, and work deep down in our heart where we cannot see. The truth is, what we really need is to work on our heart more than anything else, the thing that is underneath everything else. We need to be brave enough to go beneath the surface of our lives to examine what lies beneath our apathy, what lies beneath our insensitivity, what lies beneath our selfishness or our anger or our laziness, our obsession with work, our our incessant need to be neat, or maybe our sloppiness, I don't know. What, what lies beneath our, our need to be right? We need to, to do the, the hard work and be brave enough to go underneath what is driving those behaviors and feelings. You know? I, I was just watching the show Ted Lasso. I don't know how many of you guys watch the show Ted Lasso. But uh, he's, a, he's a, a, a successful football coach in America. I think he's a college football coach, maybe. He's very successful, and then he's hired by an English football team to be their coach. He knows, and in other words, he's hired by a soccer team in our American language, right? So he's hired by a soccer team to coach uh, a professional soccer team in England, and, and so he goes over there, and he has no idea. He doesn't know anything about soccer, he, he doesn't know how to play the game. He doesn't know, you know anything about the rules and the league or anything like that. And, and it's just kind of hilarious. But what he does have, the thing that he does have is just kind of this positive attitude. He's just always upbeat. He always has a saying for all, all sorts of different things. And, and, and he just you know, wants to encourage everybody to believe. That's the key to everything. Just believe. you know. And this season, they brought in a therapist, like a sports psychologist, to kind of help players work through their issues so they could play better. Um, and the therapist is constantly being like, 
Ted, you want to you make an appointment in my office? He's like, no, no, I'm good, I'm good. You know, he's always just like positive, always happy. He's like, no, I don't need to deal with anything. I'm, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. And uh, there, there came a point in the season where, where he just has this breakdown in the middle of a game, a total breakdown. And he walks off the field at this pivotal, pivotal moment in the game and it distracts the whole team. And, and then after the game, everybody's like looking for him. And, uh, and eventually the, the, the therapist walks into her office at night and the, the lights are off. She turns the light on and he's like curled up in a ball on the couch. And he's just like, I need to make an appointment, you know? He's just, you know, constantly ignoring everything that's going on underneath the surface in his heart. Um, and I think that probably describes many of us. It describes many of us just satisfied with kind of dealing with what's on the surface or maybe putting on a face for others and, and kind of just ignoring what's going on down deep. You know, what are the things that, that our heart, the, the, the core part of us, what is the thing that we are living for? What is the thing that we love that's driving everything else? We ignore that. And so what we all need, you know, back, uh, we all need is therapy, right? We all need therapy. Back when I was a kid, nobody ever talked about therapy at all. Um, it, but nowadays, it's actually something that, that is encouraged, that, that is accepted, that a lot of people, you know, it's, it's good because it helps people get underneath the surface. But, so maybe that's something that you need to consider if you don't, you know, to start talking to a therapist that can help you work through what's going on underneath the surface. But, but what you need to do really is to commit to a life of therapy, a life where you are really examining not just the stuff on the surface, where you're looking at, I, I talked about this again a few weeks ago, asking that question, why? Why do I feel this way? Why did I say that thing that was so hurtful to this person? Um, why do I not want to go help these people right now? Why, why do I just want to sit on the couch all day? Why? We need, to, we need to kind of get in the habit of, of examining ourselves and inviting. We, we can't do this without others. We need community. We need other people. We need friends. We need people who are close to us to help us look at what's going on down deep. Because if we want this kind of life that the tree represents, we need to deal with what's going on in the depths of who we are, in our heart. But a big part of the problem is that the heart is deceptive, is what verse 9 tells us. The heart is deceitful above all things. The heart is deceitful above all things. The problem is we can't trust our hearts. We can't trust our hearts. Um, our heart will try to convince us that the best option for us is to be a shrub, our heart is going to try to convince us that being a tree is actually not all that appealing. Our heart will try to convince us that, you know, the reason that we sin, the reason that we don't live lives that reflect how God wants us to live, that we don't obey God, the reason we sin is because we think that that sin is going to satisfy us and make us happier than obedience, than trusting God and listening to him. And our heart is totally on board with that plan. Our heart is going to, to, to encourage us to believe that, that sinning and disobeying God is, is, the, is the path towards real wholeness and satisfaction when it's not. Our heart is going to try to continually convince us of all sorts of things that are not true. 
And so how do you combat deception? How do you, how do you combat that? You, the only way to do it is to combat it with truth. If our hearts are deceptive, if our hearts are deceitful above all other things, then we need to give our, we need to give our minds and, and therefore our hearts a steady diet of truth every day of our lives. Um, the, the elders have been going through a book recently. Um, it's about a book about leadership. And, and the chapter that we just talked about this past week was about, about the fact that if you want to lead others, then you have to be able to lead yourself. If you want to have an impact on others, then you have to, be, you have to, to get better at leading yourself. And he talks about four different areas of life where you need to work on leading yourself. And the, the first area was in, in, your, th- in your thinking. And, uh, and a number of us were struck by um, what he talked about in this, this passage where he talks about how we need to lead ourselves in, in what we think about. And the guy who wrote the book, it talks about how every morning he wakes up and he's kind of developed a, his own personal catechism. A catechism is a, is a tool of question and answers that help you learn things. Um, and, and so he's, he's developed this, this catechism for himself. And he asks himself these, these basic questions every morning. He's like, you know, why did God choose you? God chose you because he set his love upon you, not because you are worthy, not because you've done anything special. He, he asked himself, you know, uh, why does, what, how does God feel about you? And he reminds himself every morning, God delights in you. He delights in you. Because of what Jesus has done for you on the cross, God delights in you and loves you. And, and he asked the question, you know, why is today going to be a good day? And he he answers the question, you know, today's going to be a good day because because everything that happens is going to be used by God for your good. Even if you don't choose it, even if it's not particularly comfortable, God's going to use that for your good, and that's why it's a good day. He goes through these questions, reminding himself of what is true. And that's something that all of us have to get in the habit of doing, reminding ourselves of what is true. Maybe we all need to come up with kind of a, a personal catechism for ourselves. Reminding ourselves every morning what is true about who God is and my relationship with God and, and, and what, what he wants to do in my life. We need to remind ourselves of what is true. We, uh, we, we, need to, we need to spend time just absorbing what God says is true in his word. I, I, I've said it before, and, and I'll say it again, that, that one of the things that has helped me more than anything is to re- memorize the Bible, memorize verses in the Bible. As, as, you, as you work at memorizing a verse, and you think about it, and you're for, it, 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 you, you start to just think about it when you're not even you know, trying to, and it shapes and molds what you're thinking about and reforms how you approach life. You know, I said that your heart kind of determines what you think about. Your, what you think about kind of bubbles up from what's in your heart. I think we can combat the deceitfulness of our heart by filling our minds with as much truth as we poss- possibly can because kind of the, the reverse can happen as well. As, as we fill our minds with truth, it can, can begin to have an effect on the shape and the attitude of our heart. And so we need to fill our minds with as much truth as we can. And again, we need others to help us do this. We cannot do this alone. If you are not involved at Hope Church, we have several different kind of groups that meet throughout the week, but Bible studies and small groups and things like that. If you're not involved in any kind of group where you're meeting with other Christians and you're allowing them to get to know you and, and, you're, getting, and you're getting to know them and you're f- filling your minds with truth together, um, then 
the likelihood is that your, your heart is, gonna, is, is not going to change and that your life is heading towards you know, this, this dry, shrub-like life. You need others. We need others in order to absorb truth and to, and to remind ourselves of what is true. But lastly, we need to know that the heart is sick. The heart is sick. He says the heart is, is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? So he tells us that the heart is sick. This isn't a minor sickness. This isn't like, you know, just your run-of-the-mill cold that you can kind of deal with on your own. That you can kind of go to, the, go to Walmart and get an over-the-counter medicine for. This isn't even something that, you know, some of our sicknesses, are, they're more serious, and we have to go to the doctor and get it treated. You have to, you have to get a prescription for it. It's, it's not something like that either. And some, some things are even so serious that, that we need to see a specialist or we need to see a surgeon, and we have to do something dramatic to, to try to heal ourselves. It's not even something like that. It, this is a sickness that we cannot do anything about. We cannot do anything about the sickness that our heart is experiencing. It's not a sickness that human remedies can heal. It will only respond to a supernatural remedy. It will only respond to, to the work of God in our lives. Right? He's, he's, he says in verse 9, it's, the heart is desperately sick. Who can understand it? And then in verse 10, he says, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind. You know, nobody can diagnose the heart except for God. He is the only one that sees into the depths of our heart and can actually make a difference and actually change it and can actually heal our heart and bring change. When someone finds out that they're seriously ill and they hear of, you know, there's, there's only one treatment for this, but it's on the other side of the world, what does that person usually do? I mean, they would probably spare no expense or no effort to try to get to the other side of the world in order to receive this treatment to be healed, right? They wouldn't just ignore it. They would do anything they could to be healed. Um, if you've ever seen the movie Doctor Strange, the Marvel movie Doctor Strange, um, where it starts off with Stephen Strange, who's this surgeon, this, you know, this, the greatest surgeon in the world, and then he gets in, gets in a, a car accident and destroys his hands so he can't perform surgery anymore. And he, he goes out to doctor after doctor and, and has all these surgeries in order to repair his hands, but it never really works. There's nothing that can be done. But then he runs into this person and he hears this rumor about this place in Nepal, in Kathmandu, that if he goes there, that he might be able to experience some kind of miraculous cure. And so what does he do? He goes and he walks the streets, and he searches this place, and he finally finds it, and he sits on the, on the doorstep, and he's like, I'm not leaving until you let me in. That's the sort of attitude of one who really knows that they are desperately sick, and there is only one treatment. There is only one treatment for the sickness of our hearts. It is the work of God. He is the only one who can heal us. And so the only option for us is to run to him, to hold on to him, to lay our hearts out before him and say, God, I can't do anything about this, but I need you to work. 
I need you to heal me. If you want your life to reflect the healthy, strong, green tree that can withstand the worst of tragedy and still bear fruit, then you need healing. This is what Jeremiah is urging the people to see about themselves. Earlier in Jeremiah 8, if you want to write this down, in Jeremiah 8, you can go back and look at it later. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Jeremiah 8. He says, is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no balm in Gilead? Gilead was a place known for a specific ointment that actually had some healing properties. And so Jeremiah says, Jeremiah is talking about the sinfulness of the people of God. And he's like, is there no way for them to be healed? Is there no, there no balm in Gilead? Is there no medicine that can heal them? And then he says, is there no physician that can bring healing to this people? In light of Jeremiah's words, his pleading for a physician, I think Jesus' words take on a new significance as I think about them. You know, Jesus' words when he says, it's not the healthy who need a physician, but the sick. I've come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. That's what Jesus said. Jesus claimed himself to be a physician, to be one who could heal. And what did Jesus spend so much of his ministry doing? Healing people, left and right, physically healing people, right? Um, to the point where he was exhausted at times, just healing people of their sicknesses, um, giving sight to those who are blind, giving the ability to hear to those who are deaf, giving those who are, who are paralyzed the ability to walk. He was constantly healing people. You remember the time when, when the, the friends brought their paralyzed friend to Jesus and they lowered him through the ceiling and set him before Jesus? And what did Jesus say to him? He said, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. And everybody's like, why is he talking about sins? This guy needs to be healed. And the, the, the teachers of the law are judging him. They're like, nobody can forgive sins except God alone. And yet Jesus proves not only that he is a physical healer, but he is a physician of the soul. He is the only one who can heal our hearts. He says to them, you know, just to, to, just to show you that I have the authority to forgive sins, to, that I have the authority to heal hearts, he, tells, he says to the man, get up, walk and the man gets up and picks up his mat and he walks, right? Jesus is the great physician who has come and has lived and has died in order to bring us healing, in order to heal our hearts, in order to bring change to our hearts, in order to give us forgiveness for our sin-sick souls. In the Lord of the Rings, if you've, uh, if you've read the story, I'm not sure if it came, out, if it came across in the movie. I haven't seen the movies in a while. But in, in the books, um, the, the character Aragorn, one of my favorite characters in the whole story, he's, uh, he's this guy who, um, at the beginning of the, of the story, he's, he's this kind of mysterious character who kind of hangs out with all these other guys who kind of are on the fringe of the world. They travel around on the fringe of society, on the fringe of the world, and, and they just battle evil beings and monsters and try to keep the place safe for everybody else. But the, the truth is, is that he is the rightful king of Gondor, the, the most glorious, famous, powerful city in the world. He's the rightful king, but he's kind of been living in exile in a sense. And towards the end of the, the, the story, um, or right, right near the end of the story, there are several characters, after the story's kind of had some resolution, there are several characters who are sick. 
They have been wounded by weapons of Mordor, weapons of the enemy that, uh, that don't just, you know, they don't, they don't just give you kind of physical wounds, but, but they kind of have poison in them and they, and they seep into you and, and, and they cannot be healed. And, and so they're, they're several, several of these characters are in the houses of healing in the city of Gondor. And everybody's trying to, to heal them and, and, and make them better, but nobody can. And they seem to be just kind of wasting away and getting worse and worse. And then Aragorn sneaks in to the city and he brings some, a special herb with him. Uh, because one of the nurses um, has mentioned that there's a legend in Gondor that the hands of the king are the hands of a healer. And so shall the rightful king be known. That's kind of a legend that goes around Gondor. And so Aragorn sneaks into the city and he goes into the houses of healing and he sits beside the, on the, at the bedside of these people and he crushes these herbs and boils them, puts his hands on them, and he heals them. And then it says he spends the rest of the night healing all of the wounded in the city. And, uh, and it's, it's just such a beautiful picture of, of Jesus, you know. The rightful king who comes to bring healing to his people um, and as he does that, rumors fly through the city that the king of Gondor walked, agra- walked again, bringing healing in his hands. This is Jesus. We have a, a picture of the king here in verse 12. A glorious throne set on high from the beginning is the place of our sanctuary. That is where we need to look for our hope. The one who is the rightful king, Jesus. The one who has proven he is the rightful king by bringing healing, physical, but more importantly, ultimately, spiritual healing. He is the only one who can heal us. And, and, and so as we, as we come to, to the passage in Jeremiah and Jeremiah's cry, is there no physician in Israel? The answer is there is a physician. It is Jesus. And so let's come to him. Let's hold our hearts before him that he might heal us. Let's remind ourselves of the truth that is only through Jesus that we can be healed. That there is no sickness that can stand before him. That is the good news. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would help us this morning to recognize our need for healing. To recognize that we are sick deep down in our hearts, a place that we don't have a lot of control over, a place that is buried beneath everything else, but a place that you can actually work and heal. Father, we pray for your spirit to work in us and among us this morning. Father, we pray that you would help us to see that this is the thing that we need to give our attention to more than anything else. laying our souls before the great physician that we might find healing, that we might experience the promise of this life here. This life of of fruitfulness and strength and health no matter what the circumstances. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Gabriel, please stand once again as we sing a song.